Who is Jesus? When we ask those questions, who is Jesus today? A lot of people are asking, and there are a lot of different answers that are being given. But the reality is, is we're going to look this morning and see, first of all, what did the opponents of Jesus say? Secondly, what did his, those who were closest to him, those who followed him say? And thirdly, who did Jesus say that he was and that he is? You know, there's a man who's taken the name Jesus down in South Florida who now has about 300 followers. And he calls himself uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, for this day. Uh, and he's got about 300 people that come and listen to him say stuff like this. Uh, he even tells of how uh, he's been given multiple Rolexes and cars. And he says, you know, I received them greatly and gladly, just as the last Jesus who came 2,000 years ago received the perfume that was broken and spilled upon his head. <clears throat> so he sees himself as having a message, and this is his message, that anything goes, that indulgence is the name of life. You are free to indulge yourself and your flesh in any manner you choose. Matter of fact, the law has been all wiped away. And the Bible, as Jesus came, he came to give people the freedom to do whatever it is that they desire to do. And a lot of people love hearing that. Just one problem. It's not true. Matter of fact, one of his former followers said, I don't think he's Jesus. I think he's Satan. <laughs> I think he's the devil. I listened to that, and I went to that church for about six to nine months, and first it sounded really good, but I realized I was being manipulated. As a matter of fact, I lost my family over this, and the words he speaks are not true. So if you ask me, do I think he's God? No, I think he's Satan. That's who I think he is. You know, some called Jesus Christ Satan as well when he was here. There are several passages that we could look at where Jesus defined who he was, we could look at John 1, 1, where it's given to us, where he became the word, became flesh, a divine implication here. The word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. We could look at Mark chapter 2, verse 27, where he redefined the Sabbath, which is a huge deal for the Jew. Even today, uh, if you want to be a good Jew, then you believe that there is Yahweh one God and you keep the Sabbath. Those are the principal issues of Judaism even today. Jesus redefined the Sabbath. He also raised the dead. There's a pretty divine characteristic. We know that he raised Lazarus from the death in John chapter 11. And then, if that wasn't enough, in Luke chapter 5, he forgave sins. For only God could forgive sins. Let's look in John chapter 8, and let me read a few verses to you. As Jesus defines who he is in John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness and will have the light of life. We skip on down into verse 23, and he says, but he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of the world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You indeed will die in your sins. And they said, Who are you? Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus said. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, 
and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They do not understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, and he's making a direct reference to his crucifixion here, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing of my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me, and he who does not, and he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And then in verse 30, he says here, we see this recording of the Scripture. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Jesus. So many different recognitions and so many different uh, claims by different people on who they think Jesus is. Who they would say Jesus is. Some simply say he was a historical figure. Matter of fact, there are those, according to U.S. News and World Report last year, who seek to deny that Jesus even ever existed. There's not even a historical Jesus. It's something that was simply all made up. And they go back and they basically refute certainly the biblical arguments, but then they even deny the history of extra-biblical documentations. And so it seems interesting to me that from the beginning of the time, people have sought not only to discredit, but to even deny His existence. But we know historically that Jesus lived. Uh, ask credible scholars, whether they're historical or biblical, and they'll certainly give you the fact that Jesus existed Matter of fact, we can go and look at extra-biblical recordings and writings that tell us of people who actually oppose Christianity that Jesus existed. These are from 1st and 2nd century accounts. People who were not favorable toward Christianity. The first would be Josephus, who had been a Jewish priest who became a Roman citizen and who wrote for Rome as a historian who was not favorable toward Christ or Christianity. And this is some of the recordings he has. He says that it was perceived that this Jesus did wonders. His followers even believed Him to be the Messiah. It was said that He rose from the dead on the third day after His death. Certainly, those who were there during that time of history recognized Jesus, recognized His claims even if they were against Him, even if they sought to exterminate as the Apostle Paul did. The Talmud, which is a Jewish commentary, for lack of a better description, that was written that taught Jews how to live out their Judaism, how to live out their faith, recognizes Jesus. Now, certainly the Jews did not want to give any credibility to Jesus Christ. They looked at Christianity as a cult as a way that Jews were being misled and taken away from the faith. But in the Talmud, we see uh, it is recorded, on the eve of the Passover, Yeshua was hung upon a cross. For 40 days before the execution took place, He was going forth and practicing sorcery and certain practices. And anyone who would say anything in His favor at the end did not come forward. And so nothing was... Found, and so they hung him on the eve of Passover. Pliny the Younger also mentions Christ. Pliny was the governor in Asia Minor. 
And Pliny wrote over ten books. And Pliny the Younger, and as well as Pliny the Elder also, there's a small recording. But Pliny the Younger said, The Christians were in the habit of meeting on certain fixed days before it was light. They sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as if He were a God and bound themselves by solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, adultery, never to falsify their words, never to deny trust when they were called upon to deliver it. And after which, at the end of their services, they would participate in a custom of which they would take simple, ordinary food and remember Christ. Then Lucian, who was a Greek writer, the Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished person who introduced these certain rites and then was crucified on that account. You see, these misguided creatures start with general conviction that, uh, that he was immortal and that they actually will live forever, which explains their contempt for death and their voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed with them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers, and from the, that moment they are converted, they deny all other gods. And then they worship this crucified Jesus and live after His laws. All this they take on faith. And the result is they despise the things of the world and regard them simply as common property. Those are people who were antagonistic toward Christ toward Christianity, yet they recognized the claims that were made. They recognized the movement that existed, the Jesus of whom was the center and the reason. We do have substantial evidence to know that not only did Jesus exist, but that there were followers and those who certainly believed that He was God in the flesh and gave their life accordingly. Secondly, what do the biblical sources say? What do those who knew him best, those who followed him say? Well, we know that Peter in Matthew 16, 16 says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thomas in chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, verse 28 says, You are my Lord and you are my God. And even in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, the demons say, You are the Holy One of God. Another divine implication. But let's look at someone else. Someone who made it his mission in life to exterminate Christianity. Someone who had risen to the top as a Jewish rabbi, who was schooled by possibly or notably the most influential rabbi of that day. One whose name became synonymous with execution, with persecution. A rabbi of the first order. His name was Paul. And Paul believed that those who worshipped Christ were not only committing idolatry by worshipping Him, but blasphemy. They were damning their souls. He believed that he must correct them. And so he went about constantly in persecution. He was commissioned, and his name was synonymous with persecution of Christianity. Yet Paul, this well-schooled Jewish rabbi, this one who had such animosity 
toward Jesus, toward the faith, has an experience on the Damascus Road where God reveals to him that Jesus truly is God in the flesh, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. And it is such a radical impact upon his life that though he was blind, he goes on into the town. He has the scales removed through prayer through a believer and then begins to study and begins to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ even up into his death, up into the time that he is executed till he is martyred. Here's a man who is diametrically opposed everything that Jesus believed, everything that Christians stood for, but yet he is converted in such a radical way that he not only gives his life, but writes the majority of the books of the New Testament. Here, Paul, certainly something happened in his life. Certainly there was a change that occurred. Let's look at some of the statements that Paul made after he recognized Christ to be divine. He is the image of the invisible God, according to Colossians 1.15 the firstborn over all creation. For Him, by Him, all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Paul believes in the divinity of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2.5, who being in the very nature, the very essence of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be forcibly retained. Titus 2.13, Paul speaking here says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A man who before would have thought that blasphemy now says, as we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 9.5, theirs are the patriarchs, patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever be praised. Paul recognizes Christ, who is God over all. In Romans 10.9, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. What about it? Who do you say Jesus is today? Do you believe the claims of those who followed Him? Those who gave their life for Him? Who does Jesus say that He is? Let's look. And there are some divine statements that are made in the Gospels. Matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, as God is speaking to Moses about leading the children of Israel out of the nation of, of Egypt and into their land as he is freeing them. Before he goes, Moses asks this question. He says to God in Exodus 3.13, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and say to me, What is his name? What should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. I will be what I will be. And he said, you must say this to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. This was certainly a divine title. And as we look at the I am statements that Jesus is making, uh, those are divine statements. In the Greek, it's 
Ego a me. As he says, I am. Am I am. Matter of fact, literally in the Greek. It is a divine statement. Let's look and see what Jesus says of who he was. In John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. This was uttered after he had fed the multitudes. And there was a human need. And every human recognized the need for bread and for water. And just as God had provided bread in the Old Testament for the children of Israel as they were going through the desert, Jesus comes and he takes that metaphor of bread and he says, I am the essence of what you need. I am your most basic need spiritually. I am the bread of life. In John 8:12, I am the light of the world. Light has already been used throughout the Gospels as a picture or a metaphor of God, of the radiance of God, of the nature of the essence of God. And during this time that Jesus is speaking is during the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles on the eighth day, there would be two meaningful rituals that every Jew would recognize. And they were recognition they were recognizing the divine nature of those two rituals. The first would be this. The priest on the eighth day would come to the altar and he would pour water on the west side of the altar. And it was the sign of life that was being poured. And Jesus has already said in John chapter 7, if anyone's thirsty, anyone who drinks of me will never thirst again. He's saying that in the backdrop of this metaphor here. And then he says, and then also the second ritual was this. In the temple on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, they would set out candles all throughout the temple and the lights would be lit. And again, this was symbolic of the radiance and the essence of God, just as we see it in Psalms 27.1. God is my light and my salvation. So as Jesus speaks here, as he gives these metaphors, certainly the Jews who participated understood what he was saying. I am the light. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. The allusion to the glory and the presence of God. Just as the presence of God in a light led the children of Israel through the desert. Just as Psalms 27.1 says, God is my light and my salvation. In John 10.7, I am the gate of the sheep. Jesus has already called Himself the shepherd. And it wasn't unusual in that day for the shepherd when they would put the sheep in the pen to sleep in front of the gate. And no one could come in or come out unless they went through the shepherd. In a sense, that shepherd acted sort of as a gate. And Jesus defines Himself. I am the gate unto life. I am the gate. I am the way. In 10.11, He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who will lay down His life for you. And we know that He ultimately lays down His life for those who would follow Him, for those who would call Him Christ and gives His life. In John chapter 11, as He's speaking to Martha, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This I am statement was made to Martha after Lazarus had died. And she recognizes that. And she recognizes that word resurrection is, is death. But Jesus says, I have superiority over death. I am the God of life over death. John 14.6, a very familiar passage, is where Jesus says, 
I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way to the Father's house. It is through my substitution, it is through my sacrifice that you will enter into the Father's house. It is the truth. I am the truth. I am the Word made flesh as described in John chapter 1. And I am the source of all life. In John 14.10, He said, I am in the Father and the Father is in Me. You know, those initial verses we looked at all had a predicate. But then in John 8.24 and 28 and 58, we see an undeniable passage here that claims the divinity of Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8. And let's begin reading with the 54th verse in John 8:54. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father whom you claim is your God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know Him, I know Him. And if I said I did not know, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old. The Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? And then in verse 58, Jesus makes the statement, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. He takes the divine prerogative. And unless you think the Jews didn't understand what he was saying, read the next verse. At this, they picked up stones to kill him. They picked up stones, but Jesus himself slipped away from the temple. They picked up stones because that was blasphemy. Because He was claiming to be God. Let it be known that Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. What will you do with it? What will you do with those claims? C.S. Lewis made a great quote in Mere Christianity. And this is what C.S. Lewis says regarding Christ. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and call him a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left it open to us. He never intended it to be that way. Who do you say he is this morning? Maybe you think Jesus has just been a really sweet guy. He set a good example. He was a great historical figure. But the truth is, we know that Jesus made the claim to be God in the flesh. That He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through Me. What will you do with that claim? You can call Him Lord and receive Him, or you can say He's a liar or a crazy man. But in reality... That's what our options are. But we don't, t- we don't say of people today who say, I'm God. What do we say? We say they're crazy. We put them away. We think they're a nut or we think they're manipulating. Or you can have the other thought. You can believe they're telling the truth. 
Jesus made those claims. He performed the miracles of the resurrection, of raising others from the dead. He performed the miracle of forgiving sins. We must make the choice of who Jesus is. If we believe Him to be who He has claimed to be in Scriptures, who His followers believed even to the point of death, even to the point of torture, then we must make the decision where we receive Him. Where we receive Him as our Lord and our God and recognize He is the only way that we can know life. He is the only way that we can know forgiveness. What about you, my friend? Which choice do you make? Let's pray. Take a moment of silence and reflect upon your relationship with God. Has there been a time where you have trusted Jesus? The claims that He has made about being the way, the truth, and the life and received Him as your Lord and your God? Or do you think by just being good enough, do you think that that's just a bunch of historical nonsense? You're taking a great chance. But let it be known that you are making that choice. Will you receive Him as truth? Or will you deny Him and denounce Him as a liar? Those are our choices. What will you choose today? If you've never received Him, I want to invite you to come. I'd love to pray with you.